later in my sermon, but I will be preaching from the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal um, this morning. And I'm preaching under this title, Walk of Shame. Walk of Shame. Now, in our culture, uh, that statement has within itself its own kind of context of um, having been a night of revelry and um, having to walk home in shame in a drunken stupor and you know, the hangover and all of the things like that. That's not what I'm going to be talking about this morning. I'm talking about shame in itself and dealing with sin, dealing with sin. Bad decisions can haunt you. Bad decisions can haunt you. A bad decision will hang around. It will linger in the air if, if it's allowed to pers- persist and be there. It will linger in the air of life, and it will never let go. A bad decision has this way also of multiplying itself. One bad decision leads to another bad decision. All of us, how many of will admit that bad decisions can multiply themselves? And a bad decision made naively or blindly, we can make another bad decision trying to correct that first bad decision. Worse yet, bad decisions made in times of temptation become for us sins. I'll give you a scriptural example. David, David made one small bad decision. The king staying home when he should have been leading his kingdom in war. And from that one bad decision come a series of sins. Bathsheba having an affair with Bathsheba. Then plotting to have Uriah cover his sin. And then ultimately having Uriah murdered on the front lines of battle. One small bad decision to stay home from a war in comfort turned into a series of sins. Life's bad decisions can become for us a series of sins. But you know, the worst thing about it is it's, sin is bad enough, but the worst thing about us, you want to know what it is, it's self-justification. Self-justification. We will and we can justify to ourselves every bad decision and sin that we commit. We'll justify it. You get cut off in traffic and you honk the horn. You even maybe yell at the top of your lungs even though they can't hear you. And if they're looking your direction, you might even give them the middle finger of disfellowship. But even when you feel bad about losing control of your actions in a tense and pressured moment, you say, well, if they hadn't cut me off like that, justify your action with their action. Self-justification. It starts at a young age. Mom, but, but he. Dad, she. You start justifying Let me tell you, you ought to stop justifying yourself and just start repenting. It's a lot easier. 
Repentance is the only way out of sin, and repentance is the only answer for it. As long as we keep self-justifying, there will be no answer. The blood of Jesus Christ does not cover self-justification. It only covers in repentance. And you can always turn away from self-justification for your sin and turn toward God in repentance. But the reality of sin is this. Sin will take you farther than you really want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. You have to come to the same conclusion that James arrived at, that your sin is only because of you. Your sin is only because of you. James 1, 13 through 16 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his, what? Own, ownership, own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived. As he's saying, don't be deceived in your self-justification or by blaming God. It's in your own self. And when we arrive at that place and we understand that the sin and the bad decisions and all of the root of everything comes from self, comes from within, then we can turn to God and do something about it. Jesus gave the parable of the prodigal son in response to an accusation that he was receiving sinners and eating with them. He gives three stories. First, the story of a lost sheep, and then the story of a lost coin, and then the story of a lost son. To me, this last story, the story of the lost son, is rich with the realities of sin and just how far Jesus will go to save us. A man with two sons, the younger, asks his father to give him the inheritance that one day would ultimately come his way anyway, but he asked for that, that inheritance right now. Luke 15 and 12, younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. We read this and we see a very selfish request. And we should, we should see this as very selfish. Our sins are always selfish. Our bad decisions usually have their place in selfishness, putting self first. The son requests from his father the portion that's going to come to him, and the father graciously gives his son the inheritance that it would have been given to him in the future. The request the response, more than tension between a son who is eager to strike out early. It's what we often read it as. We read it as a son who's ready to take ownership and be the man because we filter it through our American understanding. But that's not what's going on here. The request and response is more than that. It's not about a son wanting to strike out as an adult and just a father who's willing to suffer his son 
the culture, the request would have been a great shame. It would have been something shameful for the son and shameful for the father. In a sense, the son was asking his father, who is in good health, for an inheritance. In essence, asking and saying, I wish you were dead. In essence, saying, I don't trust your decision-making abilities. In essence, asking him to give what's coming to him because he was not sure that he would see it in the future. It was very selfish, but it was also very shameful. And in that culture, there's no way that a father would entertain such a request. He would immediately have rejected his son's request. Dividing all of that inheritance was no easy task. We're not talking about going to a bank and pulling out some money. We're not talking about a 401k that may sit around past someone's expiration date. We're talking about dividing land and livestock and servants and any other personal property. We're talking about separating a lot of things and pulling things apart. It wasn't just one day going to the father and the father saying, here you go, there's your inheritance, go on, do what you want to do. It was more than that. All of this happened in full view of everyone around them. Their kinsmen, their village, their city, people that knew them, they witnessed all of this unfolding. This, this was like, does anybody remember Jerry Springer? I remember as a kid, some reason in lunch in high school, Every day, maybe because you just couldn't take your eye away. Jerry Springer was on the television in the lunchroom. I don't know what adult was responsible for turning that television on. They liked Jerry Springer. And there were some days where you saw family feuds break out full on TV and witnessed every dirty little secret and detail. And Jerry Springer egging it on. And his bodyguards trying to keep them all safe, keep them from killing one another. This was Jerry Springer on steroids, not on television. It was on full view for the whole city to see this great shameful event, which brought shame on the son, shame on the family, a request that never should have been made and would never have been fulfilled by any father in that culture. The request for an early inheritance was a severing of the relationship between the son and his father. And then, the son doesn't stop there, but he only deepens the severance of that relationship, widens the gap when the son sells the family property so that he can leave and he's not tied to that place any longer. The entire story hangs on this relationship of a father and a son. Luke 15, 13 says, not many days after, not many days after they divided everything, two sons, two inheritances, dividing everything between them, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country means he sold everything off. He got rid of the livestock. He got rid of all of the land. He got rid of everything that was tied to that place. And he sold it off and he gathered everything from that venture and he journeyed to a far country. And there, 
wasted his possessions with prodigal living. He wasted it on wild living. Oh, the shame. Oh, the scandal. Oh, the the sin of the situation. But that's what sin will do. Sin will take you farther than you really want to go. He sinned asking for an inheritance. He sinned selling that inheritance. He sinned leaving for a Gentile land. And he sinned wasting it on wild living. Sin will take you farther than you really want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Because in that land, he joins himself to a Gentile. Not just any Gentile, but a Gentile pig farmer. Think about that for just a moment. A Jew tied to a Gentile pig farmer. That's a shame in itself. It's a shame to be associated with a Gentile, but to be the servant of pigs. What a shame. Because sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And in a famine, he has no choice but to tie himself to a Gentile pig farmer. Sin will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. He lost security. He lost a family inheritance. He lost everything. He was willing to eat the pig's food. Luke 15, 17 shows just how much sin had cost him. Shows how much sin had cost him. He said, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. My father's house, the servants, they're getting enough bread and they have savings left over. They're being paid well enough that every week they're not lacking for anything. Sin will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. When he comes to himself and he realizes just how desperate and wrong his life has become, sin having taken him so far down the road, so far away from a place of blessing, that he arose, goes back to his father. Now we read this, we think what a beautiful story, just the way it should be. Son, coming to the conclusion that his sinful life was wrong and he returns home. Simple, right? So simple. Why can't people see that and just turn around and go back where they came from? Here was the problem. In his act of shame and sin, in severing the relationship with the father, it was not as simple as just returning home. There was a ceremony that if the son was to go back to, it was called the cutting off ceremony, kazaza ceremony. And if he returned home, all of the men of the city that had stayed behind with their fathers and the ones who had not brought shame on the family and the ones who had not brought sin to their community, those same men had the right to meet him and judge him as he came into his own village. In this ceremony, they would meet him at the gateway of the village. And as he walked, trying to get to his home, to his father, they would take and they would throw clay pots at his feet, cutting his feet, damaging his feet, 
You can imagine some picking up rocks and they've done bust, busted both of the pots they brought with them. Now they've got rocks and they're throwing rocks at him. And oftentimes it played out where mama was the compassionate one and mama met him out there trying to stop what was going on and trying to plead with the men of the city to let him pass. And then running back to the house where father stood hidden away, pleading with the father, please don't reject our son, welcome him welcome him so it's quite a turn of events to all of the people who heard the story that Jesus was telling they knew how this played out they knew how this went but as he ran home with justification in himself saying father I have sinned I was wrong nothing I can do to fix it Just let me be a servant in your house. That wasn't repentance. It was justification, self-justification. In some way, I can become of value again. But here's the thing. You can never work hard enough to resolve the sin and the shame that you've brought on your own life. There's nothing you can do to make up for it. What a desperate place to be in. What a terrible place to be in. And so the expectation was that this son would be met by the men of the village and they would be throwing pots in his direction, cutting him off from his father. But instead, what these people heard Jesus say was that When he was still a great way off, verse 20, his father saw him and had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Why? Because the father had already made way. He'd already made a plan. He already prepared that if the son ever came home, he would be prepared and ready to run out and meet him. And why would he run? He ran because he had to get past the city gates. He ran because he had to get to where his son was at because there were some men with clay pots that were ready to cut him off from getting home. And so the father, seeing him a great way off and having compassion, ran and fell on his neck. Father had already made preparation for his son's return, meeting him on his journey. Now that's what Jesus does. We come to him with all of our brokenness, all of our sin, all of our shame. And even before we get to the words out that we're going to express and we're going to plead with him. He's ran already to where we are and he meets us having made preparation for our sin, for our shame, for our brokenness, for the thing that we have become, a servant to a pig farmer in a Gentile country. And he takes all of that on himself and he makes a way where there is no other way through Jesus Christ to be reconciled back to God. He didn't just make preparation 
for the son's return. He also made preparation for the son's restoration. Because the first thing we see him do is he turns to his servants and he says, you get me the best robe and you put it on him. I don't want him to be seen as a servant. I don't want him to be seen as anything else. This is my son. You find a ring and put it on his hand. You get sandals and put them on his feet. They represent several things. First, it represents a robe, which is a new look. The old man is dead. His son was dead, but now there's a new son standing in front of him. You put that new robe on him. You take and you put a ring on his hand. It means being adopted back into the family because that ring was a signet. It represented the signature of the family. And you put sandals on his feet because he was walking a wayward way. He was off in a Gentile country, but now he's going to have a different walk. He said, bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Fatted calf represents preparation that was already made. He knew one day his son was going to be coming home. And so he's putting food before a calf. He's got a servant who's tasked with taking care of the calf. You make sure and you get that calf good and fat because when my son who is dead comes home and he's alive again, we're going to celebrate. We're going to be merry. We're going to celebrate what God has done. He's being restored back into the family. God made preparation for you in your sin and your shame, and your brokenness. He went, Jesus went to the cross as the lamb. God made a way through Jesus Christ. And we are to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And the promise is we will receive the Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. But let, let's not make any mistake. God made the way. And so even when we come back in our feeble attempt at repentance, God has made preparation for us to restore us. He's not just trying to get us to come back to him, but he's trying to get us to come back into relationship with him because everything hinges on the relationship, the relationship between a father and a son that was severed and was done. God has made a way for that to be restored. all about the relationship and so when you come to God you're not coming to him you are coming to him broken and busted and shameful and sinful but you're not coming to him without him having made preparation he is ready for you to return and even though there's an accuser of the brethren that would stand at the city gates and would have clay pots in his hand and throw them down in a cutting off ceremony trying to keep you from getting to the Father, trying to keep you from getting back to the place where you are supposed to be, accusing you of all of the sin and shame that is really present. God has made a way. And even before the accuser of the brethren points his finger at you. God's already there. Having come to where you're at, hanging on your neck, kissing you, welcoming you, saying to a servant, get the fatted calf, get a robe, 
Put it on him. Put it on her. Get my name. Put the ring on their finger. Put a new walk in their life. Put sandals on their feet. And he's escorting us back into his home. Why? Because such great love he has that none should perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his his only begotten son that none should perish. None should perish. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yes, we sin. Yes, we walk in shame. Yes, we have all of these bad decisions that stream together and can create a life of bad decisions and a lifetime of sin. But at any time, when we come to ourselves, that's what the Bible says. It says, he came to himself. He came to himself. What does that mean? It doesn't, it doesn't mean that he immediately changed everything. That's not what that means. What it means is one day it it dawned on him. He had a revelation of just how bad sin was in his life. How shameful his actions had been. He realized in that single moment just how good everything was back at dad's house. revelation that even the servants right now are doing better than he was doing I'm talking to someone this morning that God's trying to bring you to a place of revelation in your walk of shame that there is a place in the father's house that is prepared for you and that if you will turn if you will repent of your sins if you'll start taking steps of faith going back. It's never going to be enough. There's nothing you can do to fix the sin in your life. But thank God He has made a way and He will run to meet you where you are. And He's waiting on you to make that first step. And when He sees you coming, He's not going to stay where He's at and say, come on, just a little bit further. I know the enemy's telling you you can't do it. I know he's pointing at you and accusing you. He's throwing clay pots at your feet. But you just keep walking my way. When you get here, we've got some good things waiting on you. That's not what he does. He runs out. And he falls on your neck. And he begins to love you right there in front of everyone. Everyone who witnessed the sin, everyone who witnessed the shame of the actions, everyone who witnessed the the shamefulness of the request. Father, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. In front of all of them, he says, this is my son. This is my daughter. They were dead. But now, they've returned. They're alive. They're alive. They're alive. If you'll stand with me. I 
someone today you need to allow the love of God the preparation that he's made to break through the hardness of your heart start working in your life bringing you back to a place where you're supposed to be with him he's already made preparation there's a fatted calf there's a robe, there's a ring, there's sandals. And he's looking for your return. It's time to start taking steps. Lord, you see every person that's here right now. God, you see every person that's watching this. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that your spirit would begin to draw those that I am preaching to this morning. God, that you would touch them. God, for us that have been had our sin removed and had our shame taken from us by your hand Lord I pray God that we would be overwhelmed with gratefulness toward you and what you're doing in our lives to restore us to you to bring us back to a place of where we should be in you God I praise you and I worship you for it Lord I magnify you Jesus I thank you Lord I thank you Lord I praise you and I worship you. Why don't you pray, take a moment and pray before the Lord. God, I just want to thank you, Lord. I was so far from you when I came to myself. And God, as soon as I started walking back to where I should be, you ran and met me on that road. God, you brought me a mighty long way, God, and I thank you for it. God, I thank you for it. Praise you and I worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Church family, I want to invite you to come. Let's take a moment, worship the Lord together. God, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. If you need the Lord to touch you right now is an excellent time to pray. Right now is an excellent time to plead with God. To ask him, Lord, meet me. Help me to feel that love that you have for me right now. God, I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.